And so I think as we change, it's going to drive a change in our strategic workforce planning. You know, that the hunt for the digital warrior and all that thing will become, you know, the name of the game because people need to know what they're doing uh, at speed. Hello and welcome to the C2 Senior Mentors Podcast, a new podcast series hosted by the NATO Command and Control Center of Excellence. The NATO Senior Mentor Program is composed of former flag and general offices, recommended by their respective Chief of Defense to the Supreme Allied Commander Europe, to support NATO commanders and commands as they train and prepare for operations. In this first episode of this podcast, the director of the NATO C2CUE Colonel Mieta Groeneveld and Staff Officer Lieutenant Colonel Jan Te Brake talk with General Retired Sir James Everard. General Sir James Everard joined the 1721st Lancers in 1983, spending his formative years on the Chieftain and Challenger main battle tank in the British Army of the Rhine. His final three appointments were as the Deputy Chief of Defence Staff for Military Strategy and Operations for the United Kingdom of Ministry of Defence, Commander of the UK Field Army and finally as a four-star NATO Deputy Supreme Allied Commander Europe before leaving the Army in 2020. On retirement, he assumed the role of the lead senior mentor for Allied Command Operations. So thank you for listening and enjoy this episode. Welcome, sir, to the Netherlands, specifically to Utrecht and the Command and Control Center of Excellence. We're delighted to have you here at the table. Uh, James, is, if I can call you James. We most certainly can. It's good to be here. Um, the NATO C2 series, as you know, has been involved in command and control since 2007. And we've been talking and cooperating about command and control with NATO since then. And we have spoken to a variety of content matter expert, policymakers, commanders, and we always notice that the interpretation of what C2 is varies widely. What would be your understanding of C2? So C2 is, I think, the most important warfighting function. You know, it's the way in which we bring uh, order to uh, the friction. It's about operational design, you know, right forces at the right place at the right time. And, of course, increasingly uh, in a world where we prepare, plan uh, and orchestrate uh, and execute uh, military operations, it's about the convergence of uh, multi-domain effects. Uh, But I think your first point, you know, uh, is an important one, that wherever you go, people have very strong views uh, about command and control. And I remember at about 15, studying a play by Tom Stoppard called Jumpers, which had a, a long debate about what made a good bacon sandwich and no one could agree. Uh, and sometimes you find the same with C2 because it, it, it's it's difficult. And in a staff, I think we sometimes find it difficult also to who to talk to because who now owns C2 or who who is the expert on C2? Well, of course, you know, I look at the mission statement for the NATO C2 Centre of Excellence and, and, you know, you do support NATO and that word transformation, I think, is an important one, you know, with subject matter expert on command and control. So so perhaps we come here for answers to some of our difficult uh, questions. But of course, you know, in a, a headquarters, I think that headquarters is, a, is an avatar of the commander himself. You know, he commands and the good headquarters uh, are the ones where that 
trinity of a relationship between commander, deputy commander and chief of staff is well established and works in, in harmony. Well, we've talked also to some of your senior mentor colleagues and they've made some clear distinction between command and control and some even suggested probably we should be called the command center of excellence. What would be your opinion on that? I, I think when we say command and control, people don't think hard enough about those two words. I mean, they are different. You know, commanders command uh, and the chief of staffs control the staff to deliver on their decisions. They're two very different uh, functions. It, it's a bit like people mixing up leadership and management. You know, they are different functions. And if you don't get them sequenced in the right way, then then things don't work as well as you would want them to. That's excellent, I think. So uh, you as a senior mentor, you're the lead senior mentor for NATO. Did, would you see C2 then as also the primary focus for NATO senior mentors? Well, SACA changed the focus of mentors uh, in 2020. You know, not downgrading the importance of the exercise programme, but recognising that in this uh, period of transformation in the development of SACA's AOR strategic plans, uh, the mentors probably had a more important role in supporting their commanders uh, in the construction and implementation of these uh, plans. So indirectly, I think that does play into command and control. Uh, but actually, you know, we support our commanders wherever and doing whatever they want us to do. It sounds good. Good afternoon again, uh, sir. Uh, I'm looking at um, and interested in the command and control structures that we have. Um, if we look at the principles, there are availability, flexibility, clarity, simplicity and resilience. But in also recent NATO documents, uh, like, for example, the strategic concept, there are a lot of different wording used with regard to command and control. Like, for example, uh, modern C2, enhanced C2 arrangement, robust and resilient C2 structure, responsive C2 structure, and effective C2. That was an interesting one. This seems to be buzzwords all in the collection. But what do they mean to you? Um. I think people find it very difficult to, to take the world that is changing around us on a daily basis, you know, look at the way that data is transforming what we do, and then translate that into a single word that, that captures how our headquarters are going to work. I mean, effective, as though you would want a non-effective headquarters, mm -hmm. you know, resilient, as though you would want a non-resilient headquarters. You know, modern C2 was an attempt to recognise that, that we were were changing the way in which people had fought traditionally that, that theatre component commands could have theatre-wide domain effect. And they all have a logic to them. Um, but there isn't, as you said, uh, a universal view. And even in our uh, fledgling thoughts on multi-domain uh, operations, I mean, we recognise that the skillful application of uh, MDA will boost our, our chances of mission success and establishing decision advantage. But we don't really know how it works yet. And so uh, I would expect more buzzwords yeah. uh, until we land on something that uh, we're all happy with. Okay, and then focusing at the principles, if you uh, uh, might choose, uh, who do you think are the most important to accomplish the mission? Um, so I, I don't know if it's a principle. I mean, I think speed of decision is uh, extremely important uh, these uh, days. 
Um, you know, one of the sakas I, I worked to, you know, was all about speed, 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 because that's how you achieve uh, advantage. Um, but you don't get speed, of course, if you don't have a, an efficient and effective staff that is resilient. Uh, and when I commanded a division and the field army and, you know, I worked very hard on uh, building a resilient staff. And for me, although it sounds very strange, a resilient staff is a happy staff. You know, everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody knows how they're contributing. Uh, they're trained for that role and they know how they work together. Uh, and so, you know, getting commanders the time to focus on training their headquarters, you know, to a common design, because I think that's important. It's a real challenge, but it's important. Oh, thank you very much. When we talk, when we look at command and control, most of the time people start talking processes and and structures. I think maybe in the military we are really like to talk structures and processes, but we always tend to say, well, you know, C2 is really a human endeavor and it's it's built on, on confidence and trust. Um, so how can you build this trust between those humans uh, within the NCS or the NATO force structure? Well, I think your first point is an important one, which is, you know, no two humans are the same. You know, we see commanders coming in and changing the way in which headquarters work because it serves their way of thinking, their way of action uh, better. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it, it makes continuity sometimes uh, more uh, problematic. So we have to be aware of that um, uh, fact. Uh, but the main point is training. You know, I, I'm a I'm a tank soldier. You know, what you learned was the secret to success was drills and the repetition of those drills until they became instinctive. It's the same in a headquarters. You want the staff to be able to to work through an accelerated decision-making process with confidence and deliver commanders uh, the options, the choices that they need to make good decisions. So is then this command part really relying on those senior commanders and senior officers? Or can we apply command to the whole? So I'm really searching for, okay, do you think it's really mainly about the highest commander on scene? No, I mean, I think there are some brilliant commanders around, you know, uh, and, you know, you have sackers who have been brought up in a in a world where they're taught to think big. Actually, in most European armies, we've we've lost that ability because we just haven't got the wherewithal to to think at that uh, level. So, so excluding the sort of alpha males, uh, I think for the rest of us, it's not about an individual commander. It's about the quality of the the team he builds uh, around him, uh, and. You know, if you haven't got a commander who has absolute faith in his chief of staff, um, deputy, then, then I think you're in trouble. And you build that confidence through training. Uh, you know, and if you live in a world where you, the commander, control the pace and tempo of the exercise, you, the commander, control the main events list, so you're never surprised, but you get a gold star for your DVD day, then we're in trouble. You know, we need exercises that test and strain people and put them under real pressure. And I think, you know, what you find when you start to do that is 
people grow used to making very quick decisions. Actually, probably 30%, 40% might be wrong, but they still make remarkable progress. You know, we're not there yet. We're, you know, we're very cautious, I think. Um, you know, more because people haven't yet worked out, I, I think, the power of multi-domain uh, convergence. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it makes me think always as well, like there's such a high turnover uh, with military commanders. And when you look at this multi-domain, we need to work together with external relations. So how do you, how could we maintain trust with these external relations when we're changing all the time? I think it, you put your finger on one of the biggest challenges because we have a high turnover in the headquarters. You know, often an exercise that starts one side of the summer completes with an entirely different team on the other. I mean, that, that's difficult. And of course, the uh, other government departments, the interagency you, that you are dealing with are also changing. Uh, and you will know that you find some of them who enjoy working with the military, some of them who don't enjoy working with the military. And so I think this is, you know, this is the, the challenge. Uh, and again, you get round it, I think, with an absolute clarity of the way in which you are going to command and control. And we haven't got that yet. I mean, I think it will it will come. I think, you know, uh, when we get to Vilnius, I think, or before it in April, the strategic commanders are uh, offering NATO a new proposal for future NATO command and control. You know, that will be hopefully the clarity that we can then start building on, uh, particularly in the way in which we are going to uh, execute operations in the future. It's a challenge, I guess. It is a challenge. And, you know, it's very easy for people like me who are retired to sit here, you know, reading pamphlets and, and thinking it's easy. But, you know, you come back to the fact that, that MDO is about data in many cases. You know, it's about becoming a data-centric organisation. And, and those areas of data sharing, data exchange, data appreciation, data exploitation, you know, are things that many of our commanders, many of our staff officers are not comfortable with. And so I think as we change, it's going to drive a change in our strategic workforce planning, you know, that the hunt for the digital warrior and all that thing will become, you know, the name of the game because people need to know what they're doing uh, at speed. Well, we dive into that a little bit later. Yeah, I want to bring it first back to the, uh, the commanders again and also the delegated uh, authority levels that we have, as in OPCON, OPCON, TACOM, TACOM. Um, but the structures nowadays also rely on a, uh, a newly introduced, supported, supporting interrelationship. And uh, the success of it in the dynamic association between the uh, headquarters. What is your point of view about uh, the SSI relationship? I mean, either I haven't understood it correctly, but for me, it, it's what we always used to do anyway, but we've now formalised under a new banner and a new language. And so I'm very comfortable with uh, SSI as a uh, methodology. Um, you hear people complaining about those command relationships, that terminology, but, but we've always had it. And I think it's you know difficult to create anything New. I mean, Mike Jackson and Ian Costley used to talk about op can't, op won't, op will, you know, that sort of thing. But but it's a framework that actually everybody understands in NATO. So you just need to make it work. So it always uh, it was also uh, already a part of you in, within the commander to operate in that way, if I hear you correctly. Yes, correct. Yeah. So, but if then for the new commanders, it's something 
new maybe that they haven't uh, worked with yet do you have any tips and tops for them to make that as a success or to actually make it work and understand it I, i think you see it happening already but but i think in the period of campaigning when we were focused on iraq and afghanistan our commands became pretty isolated from each other you, you know you learned lessons but you didn't have a constant dialogue with your opposite jfcs or core commanders because you didn't need to you were focused on preparing for a single mission now you begin to see constant dialogue between commanders at all levels and i think that's very encouraging because that is what spreads common purpose it spreads best practice and also it develops friendships uh, and in the end i think a lot of trust is based on on personal relationships yeah that's what i wanted to get back for it's back into the confidence and the trust yeah yeah thank you very much well we've already uh, mentioned the word mdo and of course the Biasy initial alliance concept of MDO is in its final stages to transition from the draft concept to the final concept, and it's a plan to to be available in April. Um, and the working definition? No, it's actually not a working definition. The, the agreed upon definition of MDO is now the orchestration of military activities across all domains and environments, synchronized with non-military activities to enable the alliance to deliver converging effects at the speed of relevance. This definition, of course, is the MDO definition on the NATO level. You have a lot of experience on the shape level being disaccur in your in the past being a senior mentor to this level uh, in this current dynamic security environment we are in where do you think are these key c2 elements for mdo success so i'll make two points here i think one of the biggest weaknesses in the alliance at the moment is that our cis is not good enough to support the move towards MDO. I mean, a lot of thinking needs to go into that, but it needs to be better because, as we said earlier, this is about data and getting data to the right place at the right time. Uh, my second point, I think, is is the idea of crawl, walk, run. I mean, you just read out that different, you know, definition. And for me, that word synchronized in the middle breaks it into two problems. You know, you have that orchestration of military activities across all domains and environments, a military problem, and, and you know, SACR and SHAPE and the ACO commanders will be getting after that. And, and I think we already know it works. It's just a question of scaling it up. And then you have that sort of, in my mind, a break that says, having perfected that, then synchronize it with, you know, uh, other government departments and all those sort of things. And actually, I mean, you know, of course you're going to do non-military activities as well to the left of that definition. But for me, the big challenge is, is getting the joint files architecture right. You know, and I know people will say that that might not be the way we're going to fight in the future, but but it just gives me the confidence that if you can do that, then you can deter and you can defend. And, and that's pretty much the foundation of the alliance. So let's get that right. Yeah. We talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, so um, we had an, uh, a seminar and it was called uh, Multi-Domain Operations, Executing Multi-Domain Operations, Who is in Command and Who Do We Control? And the question on 
who is now in command during uh, this continuum of conflict uh, remains a little bit un unanswered. And I think it's also the struggle, because if we look at C2, we sort of want to say, well, C2, it means that the military is in the lead, so it's pretty clear who's in command. But that's not in the continuum of conflict, because we obviously don't have a NATO commander in command at that point and stage. So if I would ask you this question, what would be your take on this? So where lies the command in multi-domain operations in this continuum of conflict? Um, I don't necessarily think that we have agreed that. I mean, in, in my mind, and, and we allude to it in many of the documents, you know, Sakur is ultimately the supported commander in this uh, model, supported by shape as a fully functioning, you know, war fighting uh, headquarters with a multi-domain strategic operations center. You know, I think I think that's agreed. How it then works beneath that, I think, is work that needs to be done because, you know, in the way that orders cascade down the chain of command, so do concepts and structures and all the other things you talked about. Mm -hmm. So I think you've got this complicated period coming up. You know, in April, a new C2 model that, that you know, perhaps focuses on, on the some of the challenges on maritime land C2. At the same time, you're building up you know, a shape warfighting headquarters structure that, that cascades down across ACO to give us a model which tells us how SACA wants to fight and implement multi-domain uh, uh, operations. Um, you know, and we wait, you know, back to my bacon sandwich. I mean, you know, what does it look like? You know, we wait. Well, being in this uh, most serious uh, crisis ever, I think, it's, it's very challenging. Give it back to you. Yeah, a part of the MDO definition is uh, focusing on the orchestration of uh, all military activities and the synchronization with non-military activities yeah. and other instruments of power. Do you have any experience in working with uh, uh, other instruments of power and where do you see the challenges? Um, I have had experience, but I've had experience in stability operations, counterinsurgency operations, where we have owned the timeline uh, largely. I haven't had experience, nor do I think have many people uh, had it in a time competitive environment where speed of decision and action are going to be uh, really important. And so I absolutely recognise, of course, you know, civil primacy, the need for political oversight. Um, but I cannot imagine a model where those other instruments of power are built into a multi-domain operation as a speed bump that needs to be crossed before a decision. I can see them enhancing, shaping. Uh, but again, I, you know, I don't know because no one yet has perfected this, this model. And of course, we tried, you know, fusion doctrine, comprehensive approaches. It's not new. It's just doing it perhaps in a different way or, uh, and more quickly. Yeah, and you just mentioned uh, uh, possible the new position of uh, shape and sakur within that multi-domain uh, uh, concept. But that's also talking about the strategic level. If you talk MDO, do you see also um, other counterparts at, uh, let's say, the operational and the tactical level that they're directly synchronizing those activity with uh, uh, other instruments of power? Um, I don't see any reason why they couldn't do that. Um, 
I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when we talk about multi-domain, people focus down on the on the sort of five domains and the effects in those areas. Actually, at a certain level, commanders don't have access to those effects. You know, they might be given to them for a specific operation. You know, and I come back to this, you know, that probably at the lowest tactical level, it's going to be the philosophy of mission command, you know, delivering on the mission and tasks that you've been given in the most efficient way that you can, just as you have always done so. With higher headquarters, hopefully fighting what we might call as a, as a deep fight that shapes the environment for you uh, to allow you to have much better success in a multi-domain way that you don't even see. Well, there's this NATO MDO. It's focused on this achieving military objective across all domains and environments. And domains and environments, of course, in this new NATO concept will be defined a little bit as well, as we have all kinds of discussions. Every nation will define domain and environment in a different way. But at least NATO is then agreeing on some uh, unity on that. Um, recognizing that there are also many non-military actors that collectively contribute to military success. Obviously, uh, the space and cyber domain know many non-military actors and, and also many actors on national level. This, when MDO should lead to converging effects, where should, in your opinion, the campaign planning in this continuum of conflict take place? So I think in the world of industry, we talk about use cases, you know, examples where you have tried something and it has succeeded. Uh, and you can visit many headquarters, certainly in the in the UK, you know, headquarters ARC, three division, where they have tested and trialled multi-domain synchronisation convergence often against point targets to show that the connectivity works and, and you know, and and they can... And they can make it work. But for me, I think we're going to learn by doing because we don't have unlimited resources. Uh, and I think, you know, it will probably see it uh, sit at a higher level than some commanders would like in terms of the prioritization of uh, targets and the allocation of those uh, resources. You know, I wish a world where we all had everything, but, but that's just not uh, going to be the way. Yeah, I think we're also sort of reinventing uh, d- deterrence and, and for effective deterrence and, and escalation management, it's also the importance of assessments, just rigorously being able to find out what's working and what's not working and then adjusting your, your plan or your campaign uh, on the national defense level, on the interagency level and uh, within the alliance. So. Where do you see the biggest challenges to do such an assessment within the alliance? Uh, I talked about, you know, good headquarters, make sure that trinity of commander DCOM and COS works in complete harmony. Uh, I think, you know, one of the other indicators of of headquarters, which tend to be operating at the top of their game, uh, is a first-class assessment capability for the reasons you've uh, talked about. Uh, and you see a great divergence across the alliance between those who invest very heavily in it and those that that don't. But I think uh, as we increasingly develop a universal approach to command and control, uh, I think assessment will take a more prominent and important uh, role. Um, and perhaps it always should have done. But again, you know, people are short of bodies often and, and somehow 
in peace, assessment is deprioritized. In war, it accelerates up the chain. A question on this on this cyber and space part. Of course, we just at the start, I think, on really recognizing what it means to have a space in a cyber domain. And what is in your when we look at look at this orchestration and synchronization of those cyber and space effects? Um, have you have any experience already where? Uh, or what could be done at, at the level of the alliance to to, to achieve that? Um, I, I've had national experience with it. And again, you know, these capabilities exist in terms of being able perhaps to conduct space ISR or, or use cyber for, a, you know, a, an operation. But I think, again, we're going to learn by doing because cyber is such an important capability that in my belief... You know, the effects it delivers will be dragged up to the strategic level. You know, I, I don't see it as a as a battlefield weapon of choice because I just don't think it has that ability to to make those changes so uh, so quickly. Uh, and you know, you can learn the wrong lessons, but I think it's been very interesting reading the reports on cyber in Ukraine. How uh, the Ukrainians have often found a way around by offshoring their data and and having a can-do attitude. Um, and so, you know, it's not decisive and it will contribute, hopefully, to achieving decisive effect. But again, we're going to learn by learn by doing. Um, and I think that's where the Alliance can have a real role in terms of going out, seeing what works, you know, spreading the word uh, in that community of, of like-minded, you know, people uh, so that we do learn and go forward, uh, you know, as, as quickly as we can. Of course, uh, we hope that the two COEs on space and cyber can be contributing to that on NATO as well. Give it back to you. Yeah, I think cyber and space are just the, the emphasizes the, that the further development and implementation of MDO will require a much higher emphasis on collaboration than joint operations. And also will need the commanders to develop a new mindset and an adaptive leadership style, in our opinion. Which advice would you give to the new commanders to create or develop a new or adaptive leadership? Well, I, yeah, I think there's the word we leave out there is connected. I mean, if they're going to do all these things, they need to be connected. That comes back to the importance of developing our CIS and data networks. I think that's really uh, important. I think for this current batch of commanders, and, and this might sound, you know, strange advice, but... But you don't know what you don't know in these domains. We're all learning. Uh, and I think the ability to, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know, listen to your advisors who can tell you what the art of the possible is and be prepared to confess your ignorance. I mean, it's not a, if you become a senior commander, you're meant to be quite wise on these things. I, I think we're back to school on some of these things. And I think we're building knowledge uh, together, and I don't think commanders and their core staff should be remotely afraid of recognizing that this is a new challenge and learning together. Through, of course, you know, we're relearning the great value of the TTXs, the war games, the rock drills. You know, where you can have a genuine open discussion and advance people's uh, knowledge, and this is genuine an area where often the knowledge you need comes from someone of a much less military experience 
but actually the right knowledge. Yeah, and and I totally agree with you, sir. And recently, I saw that in what we normally translate uh, from the operational to a tactical level, that will uh, fix and will focus on an operational level. Think about the what, uh, what that you want to achieve, and let the translate the how up to the tactical level. And especially with cyber and space, that how questions goes up to also the strategic level. And that's the whole dynamic that you mentioned as well. Getting to know it, what the possibilities and where to combine it. Yes, and of course, showing that this works is going to be important. I mean, you know, we have said if you're going to deter, you need to unambiguously demonstrate the ability to defend, and, and that requires you know, dominating the domains. It requires the ability to control key geographic uh, areas, and we're going to do that at a multi-domain level. You know, and there's no point in in doing it in the classroom because that won't deter anybody. You know, we have to take that knowledge and do it on the ground so that our, you know, those people who threaten us see that the alliance is strong, capable, networked, can converge effects, uh, and that, you know, would quickly win some form of engagement. It is this initial MDO concept and the, and, the, and the final draft as well, it describes these four overarching general principles that are foundational for NATO's future MDO success. And they name, uh, they are namely unity, interconnectivity, creativity and agility. And then uh, you talked about the weakness of CIS Um NATO's digital transformation is seen as a key element to enable MDO. And central to this digital transformation is a transition from the need to know to the need to share. And the other transition is from a platform-centric security to a data-centric security. And those are, for many people, probably still like buzzwords. Um, But to be able to share and assess information, um, the security structure of NATO should shift. Uh, where did you experience challenges in NATO's national and uh, NATO's and national policies, uh, security policies, and and what would your advice be to actually be able to share and also cooperate? Um, in a much broader uh, sense. Yeah, I, th I think this is an area where the C2 center of excellence, are, you know, have some work to do because, you know, the barriers that we put up around our headquarters, the barriers we put up around our intelligence collection, uh, I think in this world of free-flowing data are going to have to be lower. They're going to have to be more flexible. And yet I don't necessarily think that we have got there yet. And, and you mentioned creativity. I, I'm, you know, I was really pleased to see the word creativity there. And, I, you know, I don't quite know how we define it, but, but you know, I love that idea that it's, it's the imagination to think of something that, that no one else has thought of, that, that delivers or solves a problem that, you know. And so the answer to your problem set is going to be creativity. And I think it's going to take a mindset change probably in, in the generation like mine who are used to very strict security protocols and everything else that goes with it 
you know, that awful thought that a secret shared as a secret lost is is not good for the alliance, is it? And so somehow we need to get beyond that. Well, uh, um, I'm quite convinced that the solutions to that technically are already out there. Where that's not emerging, it's just available. And uh, then still uh, this interconnectivity uh, across the alliance also brings uh, a new challenge uh, because all military entities uh, will be able to assess and see information. So the, 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 the strategic level you can see the tactical level. Well, uh, I mean, we've all been able to uh, watch what's going on on the ground in Ukraine. So we get a little bit of a sense of what's already available in open source to really see on the ground what's happening. So it brings the question for me on the strategic corporal versus the tactical general. Um, and so we've always been talking about distributed commands. So you'd like to take decisions at the lowest level possible. But on the other hand, we see that with the information domain, uh, small things might have strategic effects. So uh, that might lead to strategic tactical control, more or less. What's your stand on this principle of distributed command versus this, yeah, the, the new challenge of, or actually my question would be, how do you see this should affect the, the way we are organized? So I look at the experimentation that we are already doing, uh, go and spend some time with the Italian digitized brigade, you know, look at what, you know, a delegated command and control model looks like. I mean, it's very impressive. They've really thought through it. But of course, in the world of multi-domain, you do need to be able to reach back for others to deliver the effects that you need. So so they haven't solved all their problems, but you, you see a lot of good thinking, which I think is getting us further down the track. And there is going to be the need, as, as there always has been for years, for discipline at every level, that you don't reach up or down beneath your authority or responsibility. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a crowded place at the point of the spear when everybody wants, um, you know, to get involved. And I just like quick as well, you mentioned, which I'm pleased you mentioned, you know, this difference between emerging and technology that is uh, available. Uh, and I, I worry that we're very fixated on the word emerging, which means you never get there. I'm much more interested on the stuff that is available now. Many, you know, much of it is absolutely cutting edge. Um, and you see already platforms, you know, services that could deliver us a multi-domain model without the creation of a digital spine, which I'm sure will follow in good time. Uh, and I think we should be looking at that. I know, you know, that you at headquarters, NATO Innovation Unit, others are looking at these things. But, but I come back to it, you learn by doing. So let's take what works, trial it, build it, you know, something better comes along, replace it. That for me is going to be the, the secret to our success. I think if we wait, you know, fat, dumb and happy, drinking our flat whites for the eureka moment to come, it will never, it will never arrive. Get rid of the idea of changing everything at the same time when it 
becomes way too big, way too expensive, and all of kinds of politics comes in. Perhaps. Well, I think, you know, many nations, we've talked about smart recruitment, we've talked about many of these buzzwords, and yet in the end, they've never really delivered the capability that we want at the right time in the right place. And, I, and, and this is the challenge. I don't think there's a shortage of money in European defence. It's just a question of how you spend it to deliver the things you need, you know, in uh, in good order. And I think we can... I think we can do that. I mean, I, you see the amount of money that European nations have pledged alone. I mean, it's it's a lot, and you can do a lot with it. Yeah, but it's like Churchill said. Well, if we're out of money, we got a thing. But we have the opposite problem. We have so much money, so the the risk is that we stop thinking. Anyway, well, you can always give <laughs> some to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so this concept, of course, is nothing without implementation. No, and um, it's it's just a bunch of words. So where do you see the role of NATO senior mentors in this implementation? So I think where we're lucky with the NATO senior mentor pool is that it's very small, 14, 15 uh, mentors, that they are connected, that they meet, you know, uh, on an annual basis to share ideas. Um, You were at our last meeting to discover best practice and suck up and distribute, you know, the best ideas, best wisdom. Um, I think that has worked well in the uh, world of DDA, SAS, wargaming. I think we have been able to to take some lessons that have been good elsewhere and embed them elsewhere. Uh, so I think, you know, we're just, you know, we're not, we're not miracle workers, you know, but in the limited amount of time we have, I think we can uh, make people better. And it's all about sharing best practice. Thank you. Related to uh, MDO and various nations and organizations agree on the importance of it and have considered uh, the definitions, but yet a national views, uh, yet few national views correspond. We know the NATO position uh, that's, uh, that all military activity occurs through the five operational domains of maritime, land, air, space and cyberspace. And that the consequence of these activities will occur in the physical virtual and or cognitive effects dimensions. What do you see is needed on the national level across the alliance to enable MDO? Well, I I said in my folder here, I have a collection of national uh, documents describing their interpretation of MDO or MDI or whatever they've uh, called it. Uh, I don't think that's unhelpful. I think as ACT and others work to capture uh, a good model, they can hoover up the best of all these uh, ideas. But I hope that very soon we will move to a simple definition of what this is and how we are going to try and make it work. This side of a fully enhanced data-enabled you know, digital spine, because that will take time to deliver uh, and build our knowledge so that when we do have uh, the digital spine in place, we know how the processes are going to work. And I come back to it. You know, we can already do this. You know, it's just a question of scaling it up. Uh, And there are some excellent, I, I talked about, you know, technology that's available now. There are some excellent platforms out there 
that allow you to do this, but we've never tried it at scale. So, you know, for me, building blocks is the approach. You know, let's start small. Let's just perfect it on a simple uh, target set uh, and build it from there. Uh, and I think we can. I think we can do it. You know, and I don't. You know, MDO isn't the latest buzzword. It, it comes out of a genuine recognition that the world of fighting has changed because you can converge these domains at greater ranges uh, in a way that we've never been able to do before. And I think that will give us a war fighting edge if we get it right. So complex. So I also thought that MDO will it will really require a much higher emphasis on collaboration, coordination and synchronization than is joint operations. But it's also on a national level, it's it's uh, working together with other nations. Uh, and then you get typical questions like, am I now going to emphasize uh, the collaboration between the army of one country with the army of another country? Or are we first going to make sure that my army actually can work with my navy? Um, um, let alone the army of country A being able to work collaboratively with the navy of country B or this cyberspace of country C. Um, so to enable this MDO, really on the national level, it requires this huge conceptual change also to be able to work across the alliance, to be able to to see the possibilities uh, um, where do you see uh, real possibilities to increase multinational readiness? Uh, I think NATO has already come up with a solution to this, which is encouraging nations to work with like-minded allies to try and build progress, you know, more quickly. Uh, I think that model works. You know, in the UK sense, we have the Joint Expeditionary Force. You know, there's uh, there's others. So I think that is the the way in which you can reduce the scale of the challenge and try and build progress more uh, quickly. Uh, and it might be, it might be that we accept a one, two, three, four speed alliance as as different partners develop these ideas. And in the end, we take the best of them and blend them together. I mean, I, I genuinely don't, uh, don't know because all those words you use to mean collaboration, uh, in the end, they're just words, aren't they? It just means talking to each other and getting it done. Uh, it's true, but it's still a challenge. Like I know for the Netherlands, they have a, a, a German division with a Dutch brigade, with a German battalion, with a Dutch platoon that works with German tanks. And and uh, so it's, it's... But then still, even if you do that for 15 years, it's like really challenging. Bring it back to personnel like we've started with it's a really human endeavor and then of course nations they are the ones that educate and 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 train their officers and we typically do that in the three forms of a, an air force officer mm. an army officer and a, and a, a navy officer where, where of course now the question comes up do we now need two extra sorts of officers or shoot in, we have a, do we need a multi-domain officer in future? Or at what level are we going to I think, oh, yeah, that? I think there is a battle for talent in all our nations to get people with the right 
skill set, and I'm talking here digital warriors, data warriors, uh, into our firms, into our armies, into our navies, air forces, because this is the level that that really begins to enable the things you want to uh, happen. I don't think that I have seen anywhere a solution to strategic workforce planning that delivers a solution. Every nation has a thousand ideas. We've seen them a hundred times, apprenticeships, bursarships, you know, you name it. Um, I mean, you know, there are organizations out there. I, I I do some work for one of them, you know, an Australian firm which which started off employing veterans into the tech world by taking them, attribute testing them, and then training them. And I think about 90% of them have converted into those roles in organizations. You know, I think the UK are looking at that because you need to find a way that dips into the untapped talent pools. Because if you're competing for computer science graduates, uh, they cost a lot of money uh, and they get poached. You'll never keep them. So we've got to grow our own talent. And I think soldiers are amazingly adaptive. I mean, you know, they can learn quickly. Uh, and that's what we've got to do. Because I think, you know, not you, but I'm too old to learn new tricks. So, you know, I, I'll i wait to be shown how it works. I'm, I'm not going to become a coder. But, you know, youngsters certainly can do that. And we need more of them. And that, in the end, unless you're going to compensate with fighting manpower, needs that our armed forces need to get bigger, albeit a mix of reserves, contractors and, and, and regulars. But, you know, that's not the trend over the last few years. And, and we'll see whether current events change that. Brings it to education again. Yeah, uh, hopefully uh, we'll create that uh, education and all the talent uh, pop it up as soon as possible. But it all starts like we all started in the basic uh, training. And then you see also the difference in the responsibilities between nations. Eh? Yeah. All nations start that initial and the basic training. And then you're trying to get qualified for a NATO position. Could we better align that in the basic training of nations and then also what is needed in the qualification for NATO jobs? You know, some things sound so logical and yet have proven very difficult to deliver. I mean, there's an absolute logic to that. And of course, NATO has very clear job specifications for all the roles that people apply for and go and fill. Uh, often people turn up who don't have those qualifications and you need to train them within the alliance. So I think, you know, personnel, national matter, I think we've got bigger fish to fry. Let's get after some of these big problems. I think on the whole, the current generation of young soldiers, young officers are better and healthier than my generation was. What they lack is that repetition of training, the drills that we talked about, that meant that, you know, they learned instinctively how to fight, how to crew their vehicles, you know, and, and that's not the case at the moment. So, you know, you feel sorry for governments because at the same time we're telling them they need to invest in capability, we're telling them they need to invest in people, and we're also saying that, that these people need to be trained. So, you know, difficult, but it needs to be done. It's good that you uh, brought up the uh, the training part, which also the collective training and exercising together, not only within the nations, but with uh, your multinational coalition-based NATO training and uh, and exercises. And of course, for our perspective, we're looking in 
addressing the right C2 topics during that uh, training and exercises. Like, for example, the stressing and testing the latest uh, C2 conopsis that we have. Is it sufficient and effective uh, the way that we do it uh, now? Or can we improve our training and exercises as well to feed that need? Well, the first point, of course, is that when you look at the NATO force structure, individual allies are responsible to prepare and generate these forces at the appropriate training standard. And I think the evaluation process has shown that in large part, that's what they do. So, you know, you've got good forces being delivered by uh, allies. And of course, you then come to the NATO command structure. Uh, and we've had to adapt from campaigning now to, to a focus on collective defence and war fighting. And you can see the improvement year on year. Uh, I think the icing on the cake is going to be clarity on the C2 model. Everybody wants to know who you work for, who works for you, and, and what your relationships are. Clarity on the way in which we will conduct multi-domain operations. And then we can all move forward with, with unity and constancy of purpose. You know, and you know, when we because we know this from the past, when you have that, you make rapid, rapid progress. And we shouldn't be surprised that it's taking a bit of time because I think it is... Uh, hugely complicated, uh, and your world is is probably the most complicated of the lot. Uh, we don't see it the same way. We see it as a challenge, but uh, and we'll grab it and so, use it. But thank you very much. Talking yeah. about that, uh, I, I would like to wrap it up a little bit, but the challenge obviously lies a little bit in this complicated world uh, on our shoulders. And so is there any topic that we should discuss now or any advice that you'd like to share with us for where to focus on as a center of excellence? So I think, you know, as the center of excellence that is generating the ideas that eventually will be implemented by Allied Command uh, operations, uh, I think you, like everybody else, has to be in the mind of the Supreme Allied Commander. You know, his judgment, I think, is all important here. And we know a lot of work's going on to help, you know, inform him. Uh, and I think staying alongside that work is going to be uh, really important because there is definitely, in England, we'd say many ways to skin a cat. I mean, there are no single solution here, but eventually we need to adopt a single solution and then we need to get on and make it. Uh, happen and I think your knowledge, you know, your experiences shaping, you know, what's happening in uh, shape and across, you know, the NATO command structure, I think is hugely important. And of course, you do go on these major exercises. You do have a chance to shape commanders' uh, opinions. But at the moment, it's that universal model that we need, and then I think, you know, we'll see real advancement. It's like crawl, walk, run together. Crawl, walk, run together, yeah. Thank you, James. It's been absolutely fascinating to talk with you about command and control. And uh, I can't uh, like to thank you for this open conversation and diving into this quite difficult topics of multi-domain operations. Yeah, thank you very much. Mm -hmm.